MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, January 26, 2023. Today, the Department of Justice will not make the two classified documents found at a storage facility in West Palm Beach part of its criminal investigation into Donald Trump. The National Archives is weighing asking past presidents and vice presidents to look for classified documents in their homes and offices. Lawyers for The Washington Post are deposing ex-Devin Nunes aides in a libel suit. And Facebook and Instagram are letting Donald Trump back on their platforms. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hi, Dana. Hi, AG. Now we have switched. You are in New York and I'm in (laughs) Los Angeles. Yes. So if you hear sirens or an echoey room, it is because I am on the road. So my apologies. I'm not in studio, but I've been traveling all day, but uh, not going to fail to bring you the news. There's a lot of it today. How how was your day? Day was wonderful. I had another great day with mom. The weather's gorgeous in Southern California. We got to put our feet in the sand and um, just had a nice walk with some friends. So she's lovely. My mother's a mensch. And if you're at all familiar with the Jewish tradition and vernacular, you will know that that just means she's a really wonderful woman. So I'm grateful she's here and we have time together. That's awesome. I noticed in your text messages, you referred to her as the madre. I call my mom madre. Yeah, I call her mum, M-U-M sometimes because um, mm-hmm. I did a, a month stint at the Fringe Festival in Scotland in 2003. <laughs> and so I started signing my my um, emails. Uh, oh, I started, dear mom. And then she would sign hers, love mom. And then what, that was 2003. So 20 years later, I still call her mom. <laughs> I have, I love Edinburgh Fringe. That is such a fun festival. I need to go back. Oh, it was the best. Yeah. yeah. Same. It was an incredible experience. All right. Well, friend, we have a lot of news. There's some important news today that's kind of flying under the radar. So let's get to it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Hugo Lowell at The Guardian. And I consider this to be an extremely important piece of news. It's flying under the radar, like I said. But uh, this, to me, is the lead story today. Two documents that Donald Trump's legal team returned to the Justice Department last year after retrieving them from a private storage unit in Florida as part of an additional search for materials were marked classified at the secret level, according to sources familiar with the matter. The materials included one document marked as secret on the cover page and a second document marked as secret with its classified attachment removed, according to one of the sources. And what's interesting uh, to me, Dana, is this, you know, how they found a bunch of empty folders Yeah. in Donald Trump. I wonder if he thinks that by removing them from the folders that that declassifies them. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine... <laughs> It doesn't say it anymore. It doesn't say classified. I I took the folders as cool keepsakes. And uh, so that means the documents inside aren't classified. We'll see. But uh, Trump's lawyers told the department that was an indication that the document is no longer classified. So, huh. (laughs) Interesting concept. The two documents were found inside sealed boxes that appeared to have been unopened from when they were shipped down to the storage unit in Florida near Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort from the White House at the end of the Trump administration. 
This is what the lawyers told the Justice Department. Since the two documents were returned as soon as the lawyers were informed of the discovery, the Department of Justice is not expected to include them as part of their wider criminal investigation into Trump's retention of national security information and obstruction of justice. Let me repeat that. Because the documents were returned as soon as they were found, the DOJ is not going to include them as part of their criminal probe. I had previously said those two documents likely didn't implicate Donald in a crime because he probably didn't know they were there, which means Biden and Pence will likely not be charged with crimes either. You'll remember, Dana, when I said that's why the non-classified material in the Trump documents case was so important. That's why they went back to get all that stuff back from the special master. Those non-classified documents found with the classified documents proves they prove Trump had active possession and knowledge of the classified material that he failed to return pursuant to that May 2020 subpoena. Classified documents were found in his desk, commingled with non-classified documents. And those non-classified documents were dated after Donald left office. That is evidence that Donald possessed the classified documents and willfully held them, which is against the law. Of course, right-wing trolls dragged me on Twitter for saying such foolish things. But the fact remains, Donald broke the law and Biden and Pence did not. And these two documents found in that storage shed will not be criminally investigated. Thank you so much for that. Okay. This is from Jacqueline Alamini, and this she's at the Post. The National Archives, well, it's weighing whether to ask living former presidents and vice presidents at this point to review their personal records to verify that no classified materials have been inadvertently outstanding. And that's according to two people familiar with the discussions who spoke on the condition of anonymity to detail private conversations. Now, the deliberation comes after the discovery and return of a limited number of records bearing classified markings in recent weeks at President Biden's home and a think tank bearing his name, as well as the home of the former Vice President Mike Pence. Now, more than 100 classified documents also were found by the FBI last year when they searched the former guy's place at Mar-a-Lago, and that's capping a a nearly year-long quest to retrieve documents from Trump, a year-long quest. Now, the search came after more than 200 classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago had been turned over to the archives in the Justice Department. Do you think we could turn do you think we could turn that into a video game, the quest for the documents and like you work at the National Archives and then the final boss is Trump at Mar-a-Lago and it's like dun, 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 like all in like 16 bit and you have to like get the documents. Well, I, yeah, I feel like at this point we could have little characters being like, who do you want to be? And then you just go around searching for classified documents and see if you can find them. <laughs> Like in all kinds and of you different grab, places. Like, you, you find one in his desk and you hold it up in the air and it's like, dee, 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 dee. And then you, know, like, you, you got a classified you put it in your satchel. You keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> That's a menu from McDonald's. Okay. The National Archives, they did not comment. They declined to do so. And the list of former presidents and vice presidents could include former presidents Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Clinton, Carter. And former Vice Presidents Dick Cheney, Al Gore, and Dan Quayle. Uh, Dan Quayle is like, how do you spell classified document? An advisor to Obama's <laughs> office who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they're not authorized to speak on the record told the Washington Post on Tuesday that all classified records from his time in the White House had been submitted to the National Archives upon his leaving office and that the agency continues to assume physical and legal custody of Obama's materials. I feel like Michelle Obama would have been like, you need to leave all this shit here. I don't want it near the house. I don't want it to be an accident. I don't want to remember any of this. We are leaving politics now. 
(laughs) The recent discoveries underscore the limitations of the Presidential Records Act, which governs how documents of former presidents and vice presidents are handled. And under the act, the archive takes ownership of millions of presidential papers from the outgoing president as soon as a new president is sworn in, while items deemed personal go home with the former president. Classified materials are all considered government property, but compliance can be an issue because of the massive volume of materials. Well, Biden officials say that classified papers found recently at his home and garage in Wilmington, Delaware, and his office in Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement in Washington, they were advertently mishandled and quickly disclosed and returned to the National Archives. As soon as they found them, they were like, oh shit, these aren't ours, send them back. Well, Greg Jacob, who's a lawyer for Pence, said the former vice president gave permission to the FBI to collect the classified documents from his home last week after a lawyer found what Jacob called, quote, a small number of documents bearing classified markings during a search of Pence's Indiana home. No classified documents were found at the offices of Pence's organization advancing American freedom, which Mm. is some, you know, whatever. But it's really funny. There was an interview going around where they asked, you know, Pence, did you take any classified documents? And Pence's face, that always smells like he just farted, is just like, no, no, but his head is nodding yes. That During the whole time, no, I did not take any <laughs> classified. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, he didn't know. And that's very common. Uh, it happened to mm-hmm. Biden. It even happened to Trump with those two classified documents in the storage unit. Yeah. And I think we need to digitize our national secrets. This is just getting silly. Up next, from Gerstein and Cheney at Politico, attorneys for The Washington Post have been deposing ex-aides of Devin Nunes as the newspaper fends off the former lawmaker's libel suit connected to that unusual midnight Uber run that Nunes made to the White House in 2017. At a court hearing Wednesday, a lawyer for the newspaper indicated that it had subpoenaed and spoken with several staffers in pursuit of new details about Nunes's March 21st, 2017 visit to the White House to review classified intelligence, as well as his decision to travel to the White House the next day and brief Trump. Among those attorneys, Michael Ellis, a former Nunes aide on the House Intelligence Committee, who later worked in the Trump White House, and Jennifer Morrow, Nunes's longtime scheduler. Now, if Michael Ellis sounds familiar, Dana, he's the one who stashed the Zelensky call transcript in that code word classified NICE system to hide it from a broader audience. And Trump wanted to install Michael Ellis at the NSA in the final days of his presidency. But the NSA was like, nah, bro, fuck off. And he never actually ended up there. But I think Trump wanted to burrow him in there so maybe he could get access to classified documents he wasn't entitled to post-presidency. That's just beans. In late 2020, Nunes sued the Washington Post. He alleges in his complaint that a Post story published earlier that year labeled Nunes's visit to the White House a midnight run aimed at buttressing Trump's baseless claims that he had his wires tapped while he was... <laughs> By the way, you don't have your wires tapped. You have your phone tapped. It's called <laughs> <Yeah>. a wire tap. <laughs> but Trump said he had his wires tapped while he was a candidate for president. And the the Post said that was erroneous, intended to imply nefariousness. The, the Post report came amid escalating probes related to the Trump campaign's contacts with Russia and as Trump attacked intelligence agencies pursuing the matter. After the story was published, the Post added a correction to the top of it, noting that Nunes had stated he did not believe the wiretapping claims and that his visit to the White House took place during daylight hours. The litigation is one of a flurry of lawsuits Nunes filed against news outlets and post attorneys have accused him in court of wielding the litigation for political and fundraising purposes. 
They have told the judge in their case they are seeking evidence from Nunes and his aides about both the circumstances of the 2017 White House trip, which could help prove the accuracy of the paper's reporting. This is what's called discovery, Dana. This is where you fucking are really sorry that you filed a lawsuit because now you have to tell everybody why you went to the White House in 2017. Right. And not lie about it. Yeah. And they're also uh, looking for evidence about how Nunes has sought to benefit from this litigation. Among the evidence the Post has obtained is an official visitor log showing that Nunes arrived at the White House at 5.30 p.m. on March 21st. Nunes estimates he remained there for about 90 minutes before attending a Republican Party function and then an after party with constituents and a House colleague at the time, former Rep. George Holding, Republican from North Carolina. But during the nearly two-hour hearing on Wednesday, District Court Judge Carl Nichols shided Nunez and his attorney, Stephen Biss, for what he described as incomplete responses to the Post's demands for information, discovery, about the 2017 White House trip. The Post had asked, and Nichols ordered Nunez to produce a detailed itinerary about his whereabouts and actions on that day and received just three paragraphs in response, omitting key details about where he was and who he was with. Quote, that's not a timeline. That could not be more general, Nichols complained to Biss. Now, Biss filled in some of those details at Wednesday's hearing, prompting Judge Nichols to suggest the information should have been turned over to the Post during discovery. Why are you fucking telling me you have to be responsive to the discovery interrogatories? Quote, this isn't about telling me orally what you think happened, said the judge, who is a Trump appointee, by the way. The Post contended Nunez's limited production of information about his visit defied credulity. He told the paper that only his former spokesman, Jack Langer, had relevant details about that trip and that he never emailed, texted, or spoke to any other aides or colleagues about it. This, the lawyer, Nunez's lawyer, indicated Nunez couldn't recall precisely how he arranged the visit, but believed he coordinated it with Michael Ellis on a classified phone line and treated even the logistical details about the visit classified. Quote, everything related to this meeting was classified, said Biss. But Nichols noted that Nunez discussed the visit publicly the next day. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> and Washington Post attorney Nicholas Gamzee said that Ellis's own deposition contradicted aspects of that story. Ellis, he said, recalled stepping out of a secure room to reach Nunez on his personal phone, not a classified line. And Ellis told the paper that he might have texted with Nunez about it. Yet Nunez produced no call records or texts in response to the court's discovery order. Gamzee contended that Nunez's claim to have so little to produce in response to the court's order begged belief. Ellis, he said, also recalled discussing the documents Nunez reviewed with other Nunez staffers on the Intelligence Committee, and Nunez provided no details about when and how he departed from the White House to attend the GOP function, including whether he traveled with anyone or took a car for which a receipt would be available if he did. We haven't gotten a straight answer, Gamzee complained. Judge Nichols said he intended to rule on the Post complaints quickly to keep the case moving forward. Thank you so much, A.G. All right. The former guy, yep, his Facebook and Instagram accounts are being reinstated in the social media giant meta. They announced that Wednesday, a little more than two years after he was suspended from the platforms over incendiary posts on the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Well, Trump's accounts will be reinstated in the coming weeks and come with, quote, New guardrails in place to deter repeat offenses. This is from Nick Pledge. He's the president of global affairs at Meta. He said that in a statement. Meta owns Facebook and Instagram. Now, those guardrails will include, quote, heightened penalties for repeat offenses. Penalties 
which will apply to other public figures whose accounts are reinstated from suspensions related to civil unrest under our updated protocol. In the event that Mr. Trump posts further violating content, the content will be removed and he will be suspended for between one month and two years, depending on the severity of the violation. This is again from Clegg. He said on the company's website, Trump celebrated the announcement on his social media platform, Truth Social. And this is a quote, Facebook, which has lost billions of dollars in value since deplatforming your favorite president, me, has just announced that they are reinstating my account. Such a thing should never again happen to a sitting president or anyone else who is not deserving of retribution. This is what he wrote on True Social. He is a fucking moron. The move by Meta comes weeks after the time frame Facebook gave itself to reevaluate the 2021 decision and shortly after Republicans, many of whom have been critical of Facebook's decision, regained control of the House of Representatives. Well, uh then House Minority Leader and now House Speaker Kevin McCarthy vowed to, quote, rein in big tech power over our speech after Facebook announced the duration of Trump's suspension in 2021. Trump's presidential campaign officially petitioned the social media giant to allow Trump back on the platform earlier this month. And this is a quote. We believe that the ban on President Trump's account on Facebook has dramatically distorted and inhibited the public discourse. This is from Trump's campaign. Yep. That's what they wrote in its January 17th letter to Meta, and it's according to a copy of the letter reviewed by NBC News. About a year after leaving office, Trump launched True Social, where he's posted content that's included fraudulent stolen election claims and posts promoting QAnon conspiracy theories. In a statement Wednesday, Clegg said Meta's updated protocol addresses these types of posts, <laughs> which do not violate its community standards, but contribute, quote, to the sort of risk that materialized on January 6th. So he's saying that it contributed to January 6th, but didn't violate their fucking rules. And this is another quote. We may limit the distribution of such posts and for repeated instances may temporarily restrict access to our advertising tools. This step would mean that content will remain visible on Mr. Trump's account, but would not be distributed in people's feeds, even if they follow him which would be him screaming into the void, apparently. We may also remove the reshare button from such posts and may stop them being recommended or run as ads. This is again from Clegg. Trump's reach on social media is not nearly, not nearly as large as it was on the other platforms. He's slightly more than 4.8 million followers on True Social, and that's compared to nearly 88 million on Twitter and 34 million on Facebook. And I'm sure that includes a lot of fucking Russian bots. So let's remember that. Some advisors have said Trump might be limited in posting on other platforms given his relationship with True Social. Huh. The site has declined to comment about any alleged limits, and a spokesman for Trump has said the campaign believes he'll be able to return to Twitter as before, even though Trump says he doesn't want to. So we'll see. And on Wednesday, Schiff, who we love, blasted Meta's decision on Twitter. And this is again from Schiff. Trump incited an insurrection and tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power. He's shown no remorse, no contrition. Giving him back access to social media platform to spread his lies and demagoguery is dangerous. Facebook caved, giving him a platform to do more harm. A hundred percent agree with Adam Schiff on this. I think it's going to be uh, disastrous and um, it'll be really interesting to see how long it takes him to violate the rules. I think it's going to be instantaneous, but we'll see if they actually do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and well, it doesn't violate our terms of service. And so we'll just throttle back his distribution of his posts. And, you know, maybe it won't show up in people's feeds, but, you know, we should let him back on. Absolutely. Um, 
fucking bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't understand it. All right. After that, we're going to need some good news. If you have any good news, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We'll be right back with listeners submitted good news right after this message. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play What the Mutt with us, we kicked What the Mutt's butt yesterday. We Dana, did indeed. Say. We did indeed. Five out of seven. Uh, if you have any whoopee stories or letters to Santa or shit kids say or shit your parents say or shit you say or a shout out to somebody you love or a small business in your area or an adoptable pet near you, anything you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up, from Jane K. Uh, pronouns she and her. Uh-oh. Dana, why don't you take the first couple? Absolutely not. You already started. I think you should continue. <laughs> I would never want to take your voice away from you, Allison Gill. Please continue. Well, let me see what the second one says. Mm, no, I think you should take the first one. What the fuck? You already started, <laughs> you started this. Okay, everyone. Here All you right. go. Buckle All up. Right. Oh, okay. She's taking it. Carry on. All right. I'll do it. From Jane K. By the way, producers, if you want Dana to read something, it has to come second and fourth and sixth. <laughs> and I'm going to support I'm going to support you in this and I will help you with anything you need. Because you're a sweetheart and I'm an asshole. <laughs> Kid Jane says, hello, Beans Queens. <laughs> I am submitting a correction that really shouldn't be a correction. But Indiana, in discussing the finding of classified documents at former Vice President of the United States, Pence's home in Carmel, Indiana, you use the pronunciation Carmel, like in California, but it's Carmel, like the flavor. This is the state that pronounces nearly everything wonky because Indiana. Some examples. La Fontaine is La Fountain. Rusheville is Rusheville. Uh, Chile is Chai Lai. Okay. And Milan is Milan. Some pronunciations reverting back to their origins after decades of Indianication include Peru, formerly Peru, and Brazil, formerly Brazil. <laughs> it's wow. a hodgepodge of the bazaar that's mixed in with Mexico, Denver, Santa Fe, Napanee, and even Gilead. It is the Bible Belt, after all, sigh. The Daily Beans is the very first podcast I ever listened to, and now I'm hooked. I have a 40-minute drive to school every morning, and I appreciate the breakdown of the fuckery to start my too-early day. Thank you, ladies. I raise my travel mug to you. Thank you, Jane. Oh, thank you, Jane, indeed. All right, this is from Denise, pronouns she and her. We got Sven <laughs> from Shelter from the Storm when he was two. Changed his name to Max, and he's now 13. He's a dachshund mix, loves the fireplace, and sleeping under blankets. Hates having pictures taken. <laughs> Oh, he's so cute. He really is adorable. Sven is Sven. Ren is Ren Hueck's cousin on Ren and Stimpy. And and every time Sven came to visit, they would play Don't Whiz on the Electric Fence, which yeah. So cute. Just a little trivia for you. Look at him looking out the window. Oh. You want to take the next one too? Sure, why not? This is from Lindsay, pronouns she and her. Hi, AG and Dana. I'm a listener in the United Kingdom. I thought I might give you a chuckle to find out how I found your podcast. I've been fascinated by U.S. politics all my life. So naturally, I followed many Democrat and liberal journalists on Twitter before and throughout the Trump presidency. But it was when Angela Lansbury died that my attention was drawn to Mueller, she wrote on Twitter. I should have realized, but misread it as murder, she wrote. 
I clicked to follow, expecting to find little gems from Cabot Cove, or even a nod to Angela's exceptional performance in the original Manchurian Candidate film. I soon realized my happy accident. It didn't take long for me to discover the Daily Beans and Jack, which I now listen to every morning whilst whilst walking my Cocker Spaniel Bonnie in the beautiful Coicus Gloucestershire. Thank you. <laughs> Say it again. Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. It's that's Gloucestershire. I'm, I'm guessing. I'm oh, guessing. I'm okay. guessing, but it's Glist- I, I think it's Gloucestershire. All right, I or Gloucester. Probably- it might even be Gloucester. <laughs> Gloucestershire countryside. I now fully understand how you guys felt having Trump as a president. You all knew he'd be a disaster, but the same way we knew Liz Truss would be utterly hopeless. I particularly enjoyed your recent Trump humpers comment. <laughs> Me too. Here's a picture of our gorgeous working Cocker Spaniel, Bonnie, mainly named because our daughter thought it would be funny for my husband to walk into our local pub and people say, here is Bonnie and Clive. Almost Clive. Oh, Very cute. I get it. Thanks, get for, it. In the, thanks for all the insight and sheer joy each day. <gasps> and that Cocker's adorable. What a beautiful baby. I love the pink coat. I know. Lindsay, welcome. I love that. That was such a happy accident. Glister? Glistershire? Mm, I'm not sure. I've only seen the holiday once and I don't think they talk about it. Gloucestershire. Yeah. It, Gloucestershire. It looks like Gloucestershire, <laughs> but but like it's like think of Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, that's true. Worcester I know Lindsay will write in. I hope Lindsay yes, will write in. Give will. us a, a yeah. Tell us how to pronounce Gloucestershire. I think it's Gloucestershire, but okay. I could be totally wrong. I'm not sure. But a lovely, absolutely beautiful photo. Next from Elise. No pronouns given. My dearest Ag and Dg Beans Queens. I live on a farm. And I work at home so I can sometimes lose track of the day. <laughs> Me too. As I don't usually write it or see it written. I write it every day and say it every day. So how bad am I, Elise? I love listening to your podcast every day while I do my chores. Yesterday, I'm especially full plate trying to keep everything I needed to get done in my head while I listened to the legal news. I looked up at my podcast app and briefly saw the Beans episode title, Mother May I? I had a sudden panic attack thinking I went down a rabbit hole of the space-time continuum. Until I realized it wasn't actually May 1st. Maybe not should I say, but crazy should I think about <laughs> instead of Mother May 1. <laughs> Mother oh, that's May funny. I. The subconscious can be quite the joker when you spend a lot of time alone. Thank you both for quickly becoming my women who delivered the news <sighs> heroes. Rachel Maddow left a huge hole when she scaled way back. I agree, Elise. I especially love the good news at the end of every episode. And for pet tax, I shall submit my handsome rescue, Rusty, Ozzy. Uh, one photo being the beautiful boy that he was, the other with the wild baby jackrabbits that he gently brought to us one day. Oh, he's beautiful. Oh, he herded the jackrabbits to you, the baby bunnies. Oh, my God. He literally is just sitting there watching them. This is so adorable. What a beautiful dog. He is gorgeous. Thank you Thank for that. Thank you for that. I know. All right. This is E and D. No pronouns given. Hey, Beans Queens. I'm the proud parent of a tran- ooh, of a transgender child living in northern Utah. We're currently driving down to Salt Lake City, I-2423. Is that 124-23? Mm-hmm. To protest. Oh, got it. January 24th. Good Lord, Dana. See, to- she thought Mother May I was a date and you thought I-2423 was I was a- like, you're not sure which inter- a- interstate you want to drive? Highway? Okay. I know. So you're currently driving to Salt Lake City to protest. This is so important, everyone, and I hope that you're listening. To protest the current legislation directed at my child, SB 1693 and 100, 
and HB 132. These are four different bills. They are all directed at transgender children and their parents. HB 132 would immediately sever youth from their doctors. It is disheartening that in 2023, we still have to fight to keep the life-saving care our child needs. Keep us in your thoughts and keep up your good work. Now, everyone, I want you to hear this. In 2022, I believe there was over 300 pieces of legislation directed at transgender people specifically, whether it was sports, healthcare, even adults, not just the children, over 300 pieces of legislation. This far into 2023, less than a month in, they already have 90 across the country. Mm. 90. Mm. I want you to think about how fucking exhausted this community must be Mm. to day in and day out have their lives and mere existence debated publicly day in and day out. If you can support, please do that. And there's a note here. This is a great account on Twitter. It's Alejandra Carballo, and it's at E-S-Q-U-E-E-R underscore. At Esquire is what it looks like. E-S-Q-U-E-E-R underscore. It is a great resource for pointing out legislative threats to trans people, and there are a ton already. Now, we're going to include a link into the Google Doc tracking anti-trans bills that are being introduced right now. And so we'll include that link in the show notes and for the patrons. But I ask of you, if you can help bring light to these, fight these, it's such bullshit. And all it is, is to rally the base. And I will say this, and, and I know this sort of my final thoughts here, Republicans in the GOP, they don't give a shit about abortion. They don't give a shit about drag queens, but they are going to rally their base. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even think they give a shit about whether someone is trans or not. And we have proof of that. They they don't like people that have abortions until they need Herschel Walker. They don't like people that are drag queens until you've got George Santos or whatever the hell his name is. And I'm telling you, these people don't actually care about trans children. They're not afraid of them. They're not afraid of trans women in women's restrooms where they belong. It's all fear tactics. I'm asking you to speak out as often as you can against this bullshit and make sure that you're supporting this community. They are exhausted. It's exhausting. I can't even imagine. Thank you for that submission. Ah, Thanks for letting me be on my soapbox. I'm just so fucking tired. You know, every weekend I I go to a new gala for either the human rights campaign or another organization raising up LGBTQ equality and the legislation that anyone had, if you have, if you have never had to sit and listen to your humanity be publicly debated by the Supreme court or by a politician, you have no idea what it feels like. And I only know partially as a lesbian, a cis woman, lesbian in this world, what it feels like for me back when our marriages and our humanity was debated. It's day in and day out for trans people right now. They are exhausted. Please support and show the love as much as you possibly can. Yeah, 100%. Thank you, Dana. Thank you for that. And um, thank you for the work that you do. Um, Absolutely. And thanks and thanks to these listeners who are traveling down to to protest these House bills and, and Senate bills in Utah. Over 90, my God. And yeah. again, we're going to have a, a link to the Google Doc and, and you can follow uh, ESQueer underscore 
on Twitter for for a lot of updates as well. And and also Charlotte Clymer, our friend Charlotte Clymer puts out a lot of stuff. Oh, Charlotte's amazing. She's fantastic. If you can follow her on Twitter, that's she's definitely a good resource as well. Yeah, 100 percent. Thank you so much uh, for that submission. And thanks to all of our listeners for your good news submissions. I really appreciate it. If you have anything you want to send in to us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, what What is to just Thursday? Are uh, Are we on tomorrow, Dana? Are you with me tomorrow? Uh, we are. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, sweet. Well, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.